You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is On Principal Challenges in Jewish Education. Um, tonight, I have with us uh, a man who I'm honored to actually always have him here and to hear his Torah, Rabbi Arya Clapper of... Once again, I always get it wrong, Ravari, and I should have it written on a card in front of me. The Center for Modern Torah Leadership. Center for Modern Torah Leadership, indeed. And and, I, and especially, you know, we, we this is about Jewish education. And during the summer, right, when you have um, the the Center for Modern Torah Leadership actually has some of the best and the brightest minds across North America and other places in, 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 in really high-level uh, learning. Right, which is really what goes on. Uh, it's been going on for about how many years now, the center? But uh, you know, you uh, when I told you about our last week's um, uh, interview uh, with uh, uh, Professor Michael Broyd, uh, and uh, we talked about Rav Moshe in light of uh, the, the death of his son-in-law, Rav, um, <laughs> Rav Moshe Tendler, uh, so uh, I mentioned to you uh, Michael's thesis that Rav Moshe's greatest contribution, uh, Moshe Tenler's greatest contribution, was that he was the, um, uh, I guess the, the the fountain of science that Rav Moshe's proclivities can could could have sunk himself into, and therefore when Rav Moshe issued psokim, they were built on fundamentally the, uh, if not pure science, but at least the idea that science is is crucial and you can't have a psaac that is not scientifically true. And if the prevalent scientific uh, understanding of things um, is one way, you can't just have halacha putting its fingers in its ears and ignoring it and saying, well, that's not what we're going to do because we're following the Torah only or forced type of forced interpretations that obviously didn't jive with the reality. Uh, Michael mentioned that uh, up until that time, uh, he said that the, the chief, um, um, the Israeli uh, Chacham Bashi, or the Sephardi chief rabbi, Rev. Ben-Sin Chayuziel, would issue psokim, like for example, I think the thing he mentioned was um, uh, not the DNA, but testing. What is it? The platelets, the blood platelets for the um, for paternity, right? Mm-hmm. They were testing, and that um, he denied that it could indicate who the real father was, because Chazal say that the blood of a child is given by the mother, not by the father. And uh, Michael felt that that was a type of psak that once Rav Moshe became the king of psak, not only in America but even beyond the shores, all over the world. And since his psalchim had such a, uh, a firm basis in science, now you can never issue such a psalch. And had it not been for Rav Tenler, as I said before, Rav Moshe would not have a ready access to that type of information. There's a much big, he might have a friend who's a doctor or someone who's a scientist, but a son-in-law who's a Tamil Chacham at the same time, who maybe works with his father-in-law in constructing the reality of how those Juvas work, uh, that made a tremendous difference. And whether you agree with Rabbi Tendler about any of the issues that he was most famously connected to, that 
of what he was able to accomplish as being Rav Moshe's, I guess, handmaid. I don't know if that's really the right term, but that itself uh, gave him his uh, his netzach. I think I probably did a more long-winded uh, synopsis than I would have wanted to, but that's what Rabbi Broid said. Um, now, I told you about this because you, are, Rav Aryeh, are not exactly a stranger to Rav Moshe's chuvas. Not only do they form, in many ways, uh, a basis for your curriculum, for what your students learn, but I understood from a conversation that I had with you that Rav Moshe has been a had been an influence to you for a long time. You're not uh, just someone who dabbles and looks up a tshuva when someone throws it in your face. You have great familiarity with Rav Moshe and a little plug for our own website and our own and uh, uh, our own platform. You had a series of of uh, fifteen uh, shiurim all about Rav Moshe, the art of Pesach, and you. Uh, I can say that they were done very, very well with a very strong analysis. So when I told you about this, tell me what your reaction was to uh, Michael's theory. So, you know, I think there, there, are, there are a bunch of things that I have to start off by saying. And the first is, has there, you know, how many postgames have there been in history who denied reality explicitly in that really strong way? Not so many, I don't think. So the notion that Rebecca is a radical change was interesting to me. And I don't think the, um, and I think the DNA case specifically is really interesting because there were lots and lots of people who were opposed to the, who were opposed to the use of DNA Mamzera specifically. Um, some of them tried to argue that um, that DNA evidence wasn't good enough. You know, a few of them put in this, and I haven't seen Revazil's tribute specifically inside, but I know Rev Regensburg took that position in Chicago. Um, but. I think that everyone understood the goal was right that there was a, an enormous risk that if you allowed um, DNA evidence into Mamzerim's cases, that all of a sudden we would be stuck with hundreds, you know, thousands of new Mamzerim that Al-Pi Halacha shouldn't be. Right? Halacha wasn't set up to do that. So I don't know that resistance. In other words, Halacha would have said right Biwe Sachar Abau, and or, yeah, right. or many other solutions, right? Right, and we would. Um, <laughs> Right. Um, right. As Ray Broyden knows well, and he was involved in this, I think, to some extent, right, that really, and Rav Moshe never said any, you know, it's an interesting case, but Rav Moshe never said otherwise, and he had many opportunities to say otherwise. And I don't see that there's any, I don't know of any truth, maybe he knows that there were Rav Moshe accepted DNA evidence or, yeah. or, or anything else. I think we're talking about not DNA, but it was more like... Um... Blood typing. Blood because typing. Because the Gemara said the white comes from this, right? Rav Regensburg goes right. through this, yes. goes through this in detail. So it's interesting to me that we don't, so far as I know, have Shavod or Rav Moshe about this. But I think we really, I think we really have to like set up a whole set of of, of conceptual distinctions as to how halakha relates to science, how post can relate to science, and then when we have those distinctions in mind. We could go back and say, so is, what is Rav Moshe different, or where does he fit on this scale, and how does Rav Tanya fit on this scale? And then we could talk in the end of that about whether this is a good thing or not. So I think, I think, you know, I only know Rav Tanya's position secondhand on most of these issues. Rav Tender had a very, very strong position, which was that halacha and science were supposed to correspond. And, you know, and, and the, right, so the DNA evidence is, you know, blood typing evidence would be one. They don't think a more extreme case. Rav Tender held that we should be able to test whether, whether, dom, whether blood is domnida by, right, we should come up with chemical tests for that. Now, that assumes that halacha is supposed to be exactly a description of reality. Now, not at all clear that in many areas halacha is supposed to be a description of reality. It's not clear you're supposed to find all the mamzerim. It's not clear that you're 
that you're that dumb, that you're supposed to find all the the biological damnida in halacha. Those are deep questions. Um, well, let me just let me just interject for a second. The advantage, of course, would be that a woman who was bleeding because of a maka or something else would now be tahor, and this right. way, so this would, uh, of course, for those who don't realize, this would uh, help the world in terms of allowing women to have children that they wouldn't or not. have. <laughs> yeah, okay, but it would also right or not right. I think it's a very, I think it's a very careful thing. In a lot of a lot of ways, it depends on what the uh, what postgame are doing. I just read a report yesterday, right, that the Florida League um, experimented with automatic with automatic strike zones, right, scientific strike zones, and they had to <laughs> call they had to call a game in the seventh inning because both teams were out of pitchers because they had walked twenty two batters because it turns out that the game of baseball is not designed for the strike zone to be called accurately because physically pitchers just can't throw it accurately enough. So you have to right, so you know that's, this is something I try and teach my students often, right? Is that you know it's, it's not like you can keep it's not like all the elements of halacha are separate, and you can right, and you don't have to, and you can change one thing, right? You can change right, and all of a sudden, and everything else stays the same, and nothing happens. No, right? What happens if it turns out that if you use scientific thing that ninety percent of the maras that we've been that we that we've been retired for the past you know, thousand years are all tummy, right? That would be really bad. So I think that's there's one extreme position, which is right, which basically is resistant to any notion that there's supposed to be a gap between. Between a gap between halacha and scientific reality, um, and so far, the Rav Tenler is the only one who takes that position, and you can't find any trace of it in Rav Moshe. Right? Then there's a second. Right? That's so that's one kind of distinction we have to make. Like, you know, do you think that halacha is supposed always to correspond to science, or do you think that halacha sets up its own legal categories for its own purposes? And you have to be very careful about all of a sudden saying there's something which was supposed to be done. You know. With discretion and and judgment and 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 estimates, and now all of a sudden we're going to measure it, we're going to measure it scientifically. I don't know of um, a place where Rav Moshe says, "Well, that was halacha," and you know what? <laughs> well, you know now it's got to be this because now we have a scientific measurement. I don't know any. Um, there's another there's another axis I want to set up, and we can go back yeah. to the case. Yeah, actually, again, just to uh, you know, Michael never suggested that. I think what. What, what what he was saying was is that Rav Moshe would um, craft his halachic chuvas, not with the, well, I have to ignore this because, you know, science has passed on. What he would do is, for example, I think I mentioned this to you on the phone the other week, um, he would take a shita that had been considered somewhat of a dasyachet or not so accepted, or he would he would buck the system like in terms of uh, treating a person with one testicle as a, uh, a non krushfocha because uh, of, of the reality, even though most of the postcom felt that, that they should be that way. So, it, 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 you know, he was, I think, able, I think, you know, Rav Moshe was wily enough to be able to base whatever he said, which, you know, whether it was jiving with the science to be understood, with the source reading. He wouldn't just be medalig alaharim, mekapet salagivos, and say, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not being gorgeous that because you know we have the science. I think it meant he was he right. I think which is a little different. Well, so, than that's, you know, so I think so, I have to be very careful, right? Because that, right? Because what is he really doing? What, right? So one of the things I try and teach my students often is you have to be. There's a difference between rhetoric and right and and reasoning, right? Rhetoric and, and that's it. You, know, you could imagine a person who thinks that it's inappropriate to quote secular sources in a uh, right in a tshuva, but actually knows it cold. And you can imagine a person who knows none of it. 
But after he writes his tshuva, he tells his son-in-law, "Go write, go, 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 put in the scientific references." Right? And those, you know, and so which of those poskim is really into science or not? Right? That's I think, and that's why I think we have to be really careful about categorizing it. Um, I think that you know you have, I think you have all through uh, halacha, you have poskim who quote their scientists and their doctors, and I think that. Yeah, we have we have we have a, a, a Rab Rashi, right? You want to quote Rabazil? I don't know what Rabazil's scientific knowledge was. We know what Rafritzog's was. Um, right? I don't think I don't think you're gonna find Rafritzog saying anything that right? is gonna be very insistent on it. And I think Rav Moshe has some very interesting and unique approaches, right? Almost you know, original approaches to the science. Um, and it's very important not to confuse Rav Tendler's positions with Rav Moshe. Like if that's the that's the point I wanted. Rav Tendler deserves enormous discussion in his own right, but they're not the same positions. Rav Tendler takes these positions. And then sometimes we project Rav Tendler's positions back onto Rav Moshe and look and say, but Rav Moshe didn't talk about DNA. Rav Moshe talked about that. So I started from a, um, it was interesting, in, in one of my favorite books, which is called Duty and Healing by Benjamin Friedman. I don't know, have you read it? I no. think it's a spectacular book on, on halakhic medical ethics as opposed to medical halakha, because it's intended to be, it's, um, it's using halakha to participate in conversations in hospitals, which are not from, not to bring the from perspective, but to use halakha as a basis for conversation. It's an amazing book. So one of the things he talks about is what kind of options you have, to, what kind of choices you have to make to participate in that conversation. So you have to, you can't base halakha, for example, right? If you want to have a conversation about paternity and you walk in and you say, well, the Talmud says that blood comes from the right, this part of blood comes from the mother. So you're not part of the conversation. So his example of a tshuva that could not be part of the conversation is Rav Moshe Choshen Mishpat Aleph Kuf Gimel, I believe it is, where Rav Moshe is asked the question about whether you can donate blood for money. And Rav Moshe's argument essentially is that, among his arguments, but I think it's a central argument, is the Gemara says it's healthy to take blood regularly. Now, the Rambam doesn't think it's healthy to take blood regularly. Rav Moshe refuses to think the Rambam was cholik on, on, the, on the Chazal. So what he says is it must be nishtana hateva. That between the Chazal and the Rambam, bloodletting became less healthy. And now he says, the doctors tell us it's not healthy at all for the vast majority of patients. But he says, I don't find it plausible that something that was absolutely healthy, as Mada Chazal recommended, is unhealthy now. It's got to have some health benefits. And therefore, donating blood is much now, that's a very, right, that's like, Rattendler's not going to say anything like that, right? Rattendler would say, because all were wrong, they were, they were based on the science of their times, and the Rama was based on the science, by science of his times, and we think that they're all wrong, right? And so this has nothing to do with halacha. So that's like one of the things that you know, impresses me, right? Because, you know, because Benjamin Friedman um, uses Rav Moshe as an example the other way, right? If somebody who's doing exactly what you're quoting Roy Broyd at me is saying, uh, is saying, is saying we shouldn't do anymore. Um, and my impression is again. That, let me just add a little uh, footnote here: is that what Ramesh is worried about is being you're, you're being chayvul in yourself. In other right. words, when you ask, I, I know it's simple for you, Raya, yeah. but not necessarily for everybody who's listening. So basically, what Ramesh is worried about is the love of being chayvul in yourself. So it's not called a chavol in yourself if it's actually healing you. So Rav Moshe says that because otherwise, even though giving blood is a, is, a, is, a, is a very nice thing to do and you want to do it in order to keep those blood banks flowing, but if, if, if but you're over an alav of being chayvul, 
So if it's true that there's some sort of health benefit, he's able to use that as a way to allow blood donations to continue so people shouldn't be worried about the law of, of Le Yosef or being chayvul themselves, right? So, yeah. um, so, <laughs> so even though what Ramesha ends up doing, uh, right, Ravarie is basically helping the scientific medical community because this way from people don't have qualms about giving blood, but what he uses as his rationale is, to, is, is very off-putting uh, for any uh, si- person who's thinking about things from a scientific perspective, right? Yeah, I think that's right. And I had, so I, I looked up uh, after our conversation, I went to my old copy of Yad Moshe and uh, looked at right, it. He has a category called Mitsuos. So I looked it up and um, there's a fascinating truva, uh, I think in your day back and look it up, about um, what the Ashita, uh, I think it's of the Bach, that white. That if a woman sees white, um, right, you know, coming out coming out of out of the appropriate place from uh, you know after within three hours after taking a hot bath, so that's blood, because the blood was because the blood you know because the, the the color was bleached out of it. And Sarvosha so has you know, has a long analysis of the of he says that she's a duchuya, nobody should pass him that way right all sorts of things like that, but along the way he sets out a typology he says, Chazal had kabbalos. About the about reality, and everything they say about reality is absolutely true. They can't be calling anything Chazal said. But he says, after Chazal, nobody had that kind of Kabbalah, and therefore, if you find anything in a halachic source after Chazal, which is not knowable by observation, for example, whether blood changed color inside a woman's body, right? So, right, so before speculums. Right now, whether they had speculums and when is all such issue, but reasonable presumption that you couldn't watch things change color inside, right, inside, inside a woman's body you know, before the twentieth, before the you know the mid twentieth century. Um, you need, right, you need, you need light that doesn't generate heat and all sorts of things like that. Um, mirrors, right? So he says, therefore, we can disregard any claim of this sort that arose after Chazal. And this position doesn't arise after Chazal because the kind of thing that you could only know misvara. And we don't give authority to svaras about Matthias to anybody after Chazal. Now that's like a very complicated epistemology, but it has no resemblance to accepting modern science, right? Chazal are absolutely true. Now he's very open to the Nishtana Hateva claim, as we saw in the other shuva. Um, right? He's open. He's right, open. Because, right? So that's because because there all we see from Chazal is that everyone went to be make his we saw that this was standard procedure and practice. There was no mitzvah or chazal didn't necessarily, right? They just were uh, commending the people that were doing things that at that right, time, right? It's, it's not halacha. It's just, right? They just, they, but Ramosha will, will not argue with chazal and right? So if chazal said it was healthy, it's healthy. He's open to the possibility that it has, that, right? But I think that, that first trip was really fascinating. He's open to the possibility that 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 is no longer healthy, but not so open to it because right because it just doesn't make sense, <laughs> right? So he's using his own svara, right? He's not an, right, he's not he's not an empiricist. He didn't order he didn't order studies about bloodletting, uh, right? He's not right. He's he's not a scientist who thinks that that's the right. He's a mamin, um, right? Who really has a very specific position about Chazal, and I think you'll find that all the way through that he thinks that you really can't argue with Chazal and Messias. He has other interesting positions about Messias, right? He thinks that. That past Sadiqim could not have been over a Veros a Filu Bishogig. 
um, right? And that right, and that right, that's and so he builds halacha often on this presumption that if you were you were saying is right, let's like, so you know like microscopic things, but you were saying is right, that, right, and it was really usher. Then all these gedolim of the past were nitshal, and a kadosh baruch hu right doesn't allow to right to call it to come to chasidim. So Ramosha has all sorts of positions about mitzvah that are wholly unrelated to to science. Um, so I, I I should say I was I was puzzled at the thesis that Rav Moshe, you know, for the, that Rav Moshe was a revolutionary in in that regard. Because um, I think you have, I I myself am actually I like Rav Moshe on this regard, right? So this is a whole separate. I I think that it's actually usually a very bad idea to subordinate. I think that there's a risk of subordinating halachic epistemology to science. And well, I can't do it the way Moshe did. Aside from the Madriga differences, that I, I just don't have, I don't have the same epistemology he did. Um, but I think that as I talked at the very beginning, the notion that automatically, whenever a halakha depends on facts, that those facts should always be determined in accordance with the best scientific knowledge. That's a um, right. So DNA, right? Again, I think Ray Royd knows well the reason DNA shifted. Everybody tried to resist DNA evidence. There were different ways of doing it. Right? One way of doing it is uh, one way of doing it is to claim that it can't be true because it's against Chazal. But that was not a winning solution because, you know, because there's, there's a solution that was Nishtana HaTeva, now you're wrong, right, now you lost. Um, the the Rabbinut still tries very hard and they're losing, right? It's still, right, but to prevent fathers from ordering paternity tests, right? So the Rabbinut tries to avoid getting the data. Uh, right, Rawilig has a much cleverer solution, which is to say DNA evidence proves nothing about Mazeros because you can't prove whether the child was was it was um, was conceived through actual sex or through IVF. <laughs> I see. Wow, I see. That gets into uh, the that gets into the artificial insemination uh, right, issue. Right. I have a very 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 fancy article in which I try and argue that and DNA evidence is a vada and deal with halacha. What happens here with clashing vadais? Uh, right. We can talk about this on another point. That's a very involved shear. Um, what changed was nine eleven. When it became a moral imperative to accept the evidence for Igun. And when all of a sudden that had never been true before. We didn't have cases where there were spacos where we still had the body, but we couldn't identify it without DNA evidence. So that's what forced people to come up with a way which we could accept DNA evidence for Igun, but not for Mamzeris. And that's what drove, right? Right, that's right, that's what right, but you couldn't claim it wasn't true anymore. Right? That's what drove that. It was not it's not a, it was not a Sudden revolution about science. They've been, you know, Halakha had been resisting the pressure of science on that with more or less success for 30 years. Uh, it was a more, it was a moral pressure uh, of that. So I think, you know, I think that you know, as I mentioned to you, right? I think you know, Rafferzak has a degree in chemistry, so it's hard to imagine Rav Moshe is more than. Yeah, I think what Michael was saying was, but at the same time, Rav Herzog was the Ashkenazi Rav. You still had another posek with a big megaphone. Uh, you know, operating in a different area. Once, you know, he is correct, though, that that we, we hear less and less of obscurantists uh, today, right? Most, in fact, many of the, um, even from the Satmer Poiskim, the Poiskim, they, they have um, developed quite, especially in Kashras and other areas, quite a bit of sophistication in uh, scientific metzias and the way things work and the way things happen and um, you know. I, yeah, we I, have it. In, like, let's say that we, the average RA right regional 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 supervisor in the OU 
has a lot more chemistry than Rav Moshe. Right? We have a community. It's not a question of Pesach. We have a we have a community that is that, that has gained enormous scientific education that is in a society that is that that's totally different than the than the Jewish community was in the 30s and 40s. And now it's an interesting question. Yeah, you know, but when I was when I was a kid, my father took me to AOJS um, convention, the Association of Orthodox Jewish Scientists. And one of the things my father has noted um, is that there aren't any Jewish scientists, you know, there are no Orthodox Jewish scientists anymore. They're just Orthodox Jewish doctors. And whether right, the AOJS meetings are all about medical ethics now, as opposed to about cosmology and things like that. And so, you know, there's a lot of debate about the extent to which the practice of medicine is scientific. In right in certain right, in in certain ways now, and it may be that uh, like we saw, you know, it's not, it's not obvious to me that we're not actually going the other way in certain in, in certain in certain on certain issues like this, but I don't see evidence that Rav Moshe radically altered the uh, the field. Um, I think that the field changed in terms of what people would accept. There was a whole lot of an enormous lot of English writing. I sort of Tenzer gets credit for that. You know, again, I'm biased. My teacher's Ray Bleich. Uh, I think I think I was thinking of the as Ray Bleich as I think the line of one of his essays is, uh, you know, light pace is not a fat. It's uh, you know, it's 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 or no, lanolin, lanolin, lanolin is it is opposed to what most people think is not a fat. Actually, it's a light pace protein. <laughs> this is how I, an English law article starts. Like, this. how many people in the world know the difference? Not me. They between a fat and a light pace protein. <laughs> I get that light pace is probably related to lipid. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, so the the people who read right, the the explainers of the post game, right? I think it's you do it right. Uh, so I think what you're trying to say is that you believe this scientific, medical, um, uh, objective way of looking at things, which is the way halacha and kashrus and then medical issues is is proceeding. Um, might have occurred even without Rav Moshe's psalkim. That's basically what you're saying. It's 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 a, a product of the of the times that we live in, rather than Rav Moshe uh, shutting the door on the dark ages. Would you say that? Yeah, like... I, I don't I don't see Rav Moshe as I don't see Rav Moshe as um, as unusual, or you know, or even as ahead of the field on that way. I think what I'm trying to argue is Rav Moshe psalkim is actually on the whole less scientific than most contemporaries. Uh, oh, as he gets oh, older, right, right, but but even what the formulation you said earlier, uh, being Dilcha the Bach, already yeah. opens the door to, uh, uh, you know, being Machzik Chazal, and negating Parshonis that was anti-scientific or was just wrong-headed, right? In other words, putting Chazal on the pedestal, allowing mm-hmm. new possible interpretations into those rigid words, but stretching them and nobody was better than Rav Moshe and coming up with inventive... he stretch, but he there's no stretching there at all he leaves Chazal exactly as it is and he says look white blood isn't mentioned but Chazal don't say white. But his whole point is right black blood okay if Chazal said it black blood is blood right. green blood if Chazal said it green blood is blood but white blood he points but Chazal never said it uh, yeah, but, but if there... they said it he would, he would accept it right but whether it's stretching or not as long as he can get into Chazal we could say Chazal say if, if there's a tacit contradiction, Rav Moshe is not going to. Uh, you're saying he's not he's he's not going to be Delcha Chazal. He's going to be Machnia himself, but he's willing to be Sovel new types of interpretations that, we're, that we didn't see from the Gedolei Achronim, right? Maybe I don't know. Yeah, yeah. None of the cases you've shown me so far have. Uh, I, I, again, I'm not really the advocate here. I'm just saying that. Yeah, I, that, I'm not convinced of that. 
I'm not convinced that Rav Moshe, I think Rav Moshe does come up with things that I think he defends the honor of past Gedolim enormously. And that's like a very standard move in his tribute is to say that, hmm, but this creates a problem because then those people raise. So the way he frames his reinterpretation is not as an accommodation of science, but as a defense of the past Gedolim. Now you're talking about the, the tshuva where he talks about breathing in all these microorganisms, right? That's... Yeah, but he does it in other places too. That's, I think, a very common move of, of his. Microorganisms is an example. I don't, you know, I, I, get, I, be, I would like to see the counter examples, right? You know, where Rav Moshe really does, um, really does take, um, you know, his electricity tshuva are not, are not radical in their, under, in their understanding. Um, and he doesn't have a, we can tell, a profoundly deep. He tries to have people explain things to him. He's a curious person. He's a very smart person. Um, you know, as opposed to the Chazanish, who I think really understands the field. The Shnomazalman Orbach, who has right, a Chavrusa with a physicist, uh, right, twice, right, once, once a week, so he can understand the right, you know, to say that Rav Moshe is a radical, but Rav Shlomo Zalman, you know, was all, almost the equivalent of Rav, right, spending six months with, with shepherds to be able to, to do Mumim. Uh, right, and no one has ever understood what Shlomo Zalman wrote about uh, wrote about electricity and refrigerators. But because, right, as opposed to Rav not getting smicha, right, we decided to get rid of Shlomo Zalman smicha, so we trust him. I, I mean, does any is there any comparison in the scientific sophistication of Rav Moshe Tshuva to right to Shlomo Zalman, uh, who was active, you know, in roughly the same period? Yeah, yeah. No, um, it, it was not in my mind. Of course, Shlomo Zalman is the um, is 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 not only a fighter, a pioneer in terms of understanding electricity. I mean, he who who would have the uh, the 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 gumption and the you know, there's Mechipos is to take on the Chazanish, which is what he does, of course, in terms yeah. of understanding the sodas of what electricity are. And I think that most people find the Chaz, again, I don't know, I'm sure you have a, a, an opinion on this, uh, about this Machlokas, about how, what what is the Easter and what Malacha is it about creating a circuit. But, um, you know, I think most people, most scientific people, I think, probably side with Rishlama Zalman, uh, right? The, uh, if you're going to view it, like his understanding of, of waves and the way electricity works seems to be Oiska Arbit, right? Yeah, I, I, I think that's probably true, but I, I confess, you know, that uh, every once in a while I have a Shiloh, I, you know, I had my father try and explain um, capacitors to me. Um, you know, I, I remember I took my father once to a whole series of lectures on the at YU and contemporary Lacha on the on the Shabbos elevator and how and how it works and you know it was great but again like those those are not remotions Shabbos on the Shabbos elevator uh, I think you find you know there's a whole movement for specialized psak in many many areas and some of it is just driven by sending so many smart people to yeshiva who need jobs <laughs> and are intellectually curious and so that you know so uh, right so there's a supply side uh, shift. I think that in the same way that the sophistication of Shurim everywhere, but in Shul specifically, grows because we have an audience that is much more learned. Uh, I think we have an audience which is much more scientifically literate, and that pushes people to do it. But I don't see, you know, I like teachings. One of my favorite Shavuot is an Odibuda on autopsies. And one of the things that you get is, so he doesn't mention it, but, you know, when you read the background history, and you understand he is so at the cutting edge. He understands exactly what is happening Medically, sociologically, um, right? He's completely, completely in touch. And I don't, you know, I think you, you always have, you know, you have, you have certain obscurantist post right? You have people who don't, 
We don't see the value in it. But um, most people, I think, so this is where I've got a set of typology, right? There are post who think that, who don't care about science, right? You know, when they have a shyla and there's a suffix, so they'll talk to somebody because how, what are you also supposed to do? I can't find the evidence, any evidence in Chazal. There are poskim who are autodidacts in science. And they're like fascinating people, right? Because they don't buy into the science. They're not, they don't, they're not invested in being part of the scientific community, but they're invested in what they understand is MS. And so they'll have all sorts of idiosyncratic positions because they're not in any way bound by scientific by scientific consensus, uh, right? Those are the most interesting people. The rugged chopper would be someone like that. Um, you know, that's uh, for a bike to some extent is like that. And then, um, and, I don't. I'm not sure if he'd be so happy with that. Uh, with with that appellation. Yeah, I understand. Himself. Right, I understand. But 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 he believes that what he cut what he comes up with is probably in line with what should be the, uh, should the standard. Be. Yeah, everyone thinks that's what like what should be. Right? <laughs> because how right. invested you are. How yeah. invested you are in right in in the epistemology the epistemology of the discipline, right, and the practitioners. Um, so, Rav Tendler is fairly unique in that regard because for a while he is fully invested. Um, but Rav Moshe is somewhere between the first two categories, right? It's somewhere between asking Yishtayla and having certain positions of his own, particularly in the areas of medicine, that, right, that he's arrived at his own. That what, um, I, you know, I think that it's true that Rav Moshe has, I guess I want to, I want to make another point, right? Here's, here's the point I make, which is many people find counterintuitive. Uh, I argue that Haredi Psak is actually much more scientist than modern Orthodox Psak, or should be. Because the way the Haredi postgame generally relate to, to science is that there's this realm of, that, right, like Rabbi Sachs did in a certain sense, right? That you know, there are different realms. There's the fact value distinction, right? And so basically we accept what science says, except when it seems to conflict with halacha, and then we have to, to engage in our various acrobatics, which different people will solve in some ways. Some people will solve the way Rav Tendler does. Other people will put people in harem for saying that, like, like Rav Slifkin, right? you know, all, all sorts of issues like that. Um, but Haredim often take, right, or ought, and ought to, take the scientific consensus as is, because science is just an external datum for the system, right? They're not inside it. They're not, right, they're, many of them don't have any aspiration to be able to evaluate what the science says, right? They're engaged in a psak, and when you, right, and the psak says, here's where you listen to the doctors, here's where you listen to the scientists, so, the way, so I take rove of the doctors or scientists, and whatever the rove says, that's what halakha's epistemology. Halakha's epistemology is take rove, rove him, right? As opposed to what I wanted to argue about orthodox psak should be, is that we should evaluate it. We shouldn't be going with the consensus of the moment, right? If, right, we should be incited enough to be able to make our own, right, to evaluate and make decisions. And so, like, you know, the the subcategory of what I would call the Haredi model is you have somebody who you trust, who you take all your science from. So Rav Moshe trusted Rav Tendler in, in many ways, and but he's not. But to say that when you have a suffix, you ask a shaila to your right, you know, that because now you plug in the mitzvahs as told you by somebody else. That's not being scientific. That's just a look. And now that we have a debate about when do you see it as a suffix or not, right? You know, right. But that, 
you know, to some extent, I, that's why I was critical in some ways of the um, the way in which the modern Orthodox community handled the COVID issues, where people, you know, were, were really, for, for good or for ill, we just basically handed off to Rabbi Dr. Glatt, right? We're, we weren't doing any thinking independently about the subject, at least publicly, right? I don't know what happened privately, but publicly, we just, right, we identified science with a person. And that person was largely expected to convey a scientific consensus. And nobody thought about the reality behind it at all. And I don't, you know, I don't see what we need by orthodoxy for that. Um, so that's let my, me, let my me, where, where do you, where do you find a modern orthodox type of posek who does his own thinking within the system and is willing to buck the rove? You're saying the Harediship way is that we know we don't know about this. Let's take rove of what's saying here, and whether it's pikuach nefesh, whatever it is, we have to be machmir. We'll go with them. Where do you find a a reinterpretation? of a modern Orthodox posik doing something like that? Well, so the easy example is Roy Bleichan Brenda, uh, right, who, you know, who took, you know, who took the position long before it was acknowledged that the reason, you know, the reason there was no electric, there was no, uh, when you, when you sort of injected dye, you couldn't see, you couldn't find the radioactive dye in, in, in the brain was not because the brain was dead, there was no blood flow, but because the particles of the dye were too large to pass through the blood brain barrier. Uh, right, that was an example of somebody taking a position which, at that point, seemed to be anti-scientific consensus. Although, yeah, again, Lanius Dati, you know, he was entirely right, and I think almost everybody concedes he was right about that specific issue. But I'll right, give but, it again. Yeah, yeah, right, but but that's sort of again there. You, it's not like the the other. What's the Haredi postcom would have done? They wouldn't have even uh, uh, even sanctioned the possibility. Brain death, because that was a topic I knew when I called over Gedalia Schwartz Alava Shalom to talk about to talk about brain death. So I was afraid that he would give me the party line about, you know, about complete liquefaction of the brain and just take that one side of it. And I was really impressed. And this, I think, is good because he said, no, I understand that's not true. But I spoke to this neurologist. I spoke to that neurologist. Right. And they convinced me of this. Right. So he did his own research. Right. About knowing there were multiple opinions about, and reaching his own decision as to which of them right, was more credible and why based on his own research and reading. Um, right, I think that's. Uh, I think that that goes on in conference all the time now, um, and I think that we have. Um, I think it's an interesting question. I think Rabbi Life was that kind of post. Sigurd Tendler is that kind of post. Because Rabbi Tendler has, yeah, I think that the interesting thing of Tendler's thing is that he really moved completely out of the. He was not part actively part of the scientific community, um, really since the 1980s would be my take, and so he took all sorts of idiosyncratic positions over time, and you know, and and moved. From becoming a POSIC who reflected scientific consensus to being a POSIC who took idiosyncratic positions on all sorts of issues, glass and Anida and matzah um, and tuna fish, uh, that many of which may have been wrong. But that was an example of somebody, right, of somebody who held that I have to call him as I see him and whatever the right, you know, so that I think uh, Ray Bleich is like that, obviously, although he has his own, right, he also won't go against Ghazal. Um, as opposed to, um, Rav Shechter and Rabbi Willig, who I think um, are not really, uh, you know, the Rabbi Willig is more curious in some ways, and I imagine Rav Shechter has learned the food, the food science, um, but they're not really um, in, invested at all in learning the science, right? That's not their, they see that as Rakachos, you know, the Tabachos, you know, as it is. So that, that, you know, I think that's a, it's an interesting model. Um, I do think Rabbi Willig, you know, does experimental things. He definitely, um, yeah. his psalchim, I think, are quite uh, 
revolutionary and sometimes taking advantage of a metzius that other people might not even be aware of. Uh, yeah, is there, to, right, so, you know, so the, you know, the IDF thing is a really interesting use of modernity. Yeah, uh, there's he a actually, lot. Yeah, he has other hatayer in Hilchas Nida that I was very, very impressed with based on you know how he inventive he was, and, and he 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 gauged you know he was able to connect it to uh, a reality of what was going on. I don't know if that's necessarily uh, scientific or being practical and being um, you know. He being, talks to lots of people, but he also has like he he, he passes the Solidus bill by having. In terms of COVID, I just want to say what I think was happening, and this is maybe a sociological truth or not. I think part of the reason why there was sort of like a, a folding. And you see, you saw it even in, in, in many smart people in terms of the deification of Fauci and other things. There was an in, there was a fear that I think gripped people to the point that this isn't just like a one shot deal, a Karen Quinlan or someone, or even you know a, a certain percentage of people that are ill that we need to come up with an AIDSA for them. There was a, um, a a panic sense that this is that if we do the wrong thing, we're endangering everybody's life. And I think because of that, it's one thing, you know, it, it, it's very easy to be very noble and strong in halacha and, and feeling great about your shiurim when you're not scared. I think there, I think that fear caused a collapse uh, on, on many levels. Um, that could be. That could very well be. And, and therefore, yeah, therefore, good. You know, we're going to let the halacha laboratory work in other places. Right now, let's just get through this pandemic alive and listen to what these people say, even though there's going to be a world of shilas about risk factors and non-risk factors and when do we say shem repsoyim and how choshev davening is and how choshev these mitzvahs are, right? You know, they would abdicate on that and just say, let's just let this doctor who knows stuff tell us what to do and we'll follow that and hopefully we're going to get out of COVID at the end. I think that's really- lucky. Right, perhaps that we, you know, we that they picked well. I think it was blown out of proportion the amount of um, recalcitrance or resistance to um, to to following what science was saying. I think I think uh, I think that was shown to De Blasio and others uh, when they were, you know, I think uh, put it this way: the 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 scofflaws and the people who maybe were even more. Uh, uh, proper in terms of showing halachic independence, I think they were the minority. I think most people just, most people folded because out of fear. And as, as you know, I've said many times, um, the rest of the people said, look, anything we do is going to be Gurim Achil Hashem anyway, right? So if we come out with statements, even we base them on some sort of uh, proper halacha, and even though it's Oiskar, but, but following them would lead to the, the type of Chil Hashem that we saw. And therefore, I think, you know, so even Halach, I think, gets pushed to the side. I think that's my okay. take on it. Right. So, so the point I was going to say is that embedded in the earth, uh, right? So when you try and make Halacha match specific, right, the science of the moment, you're going to end up first, you're going to end up flipping back and forth because science should flip back and forth as new experimental data comes. And B, you end up being connected to feds. We would all have we have all halakha based on hysteria, right? Which everyone thought was right was a was a scientific thing at the moment. Um, so I, I you know I evangelize I guess for the notion, you know, and I'm I'm not a good evangelist about this because I am a liberal arts person. Uh, so like I was much more successful at Harvard when, when the MIT student came students came to Harvard and I started talking about science. So they were, they would always be they would always be you know, or math they would always be complaints about it. Even though I could probably do it better than most rabbis, but I you know I, but I, I couldn't do it. 
on the level I could do liberal arts stuff and there are weaknesses in the analogies and it's, it's always fun when the MIT students came after me after, uh, after it to object to my analogies and things like that. But I think that's what we need. And I don't think that, you know, the notion that Ramosha created a psaac where you just took the science of the moment as a given, I, I don't see that. I think Ramosha, you know, the most Ramosha was this vanguard of progress that dragged everyone else behind him. You know, as I mentioned to you, I think Rav Henkin was probably more sophisticated in that way than Rav Moshe was. And the whole model we have, right, where, you know, what I would love to find is the trivia of Moshe where he says explicitly, my son-in-law said this, but guess what? I think my son-in-law is wrong about the science. <laughs> right, that's what you need, right? Otherwise, it's just, otherwise it's just das mada, right? We, right we, to have a, we're talking about questions of, you know, how, what our position should be about, uh, about um, dilated and extract abortions, right? Where there was a huge machloket about whether whether it was medically necessary and when, on all those sorts of issues, I think that postgame need to be able to make sophisticated, independent judgments and not just to hand those off because these are life and death issues. They're and I think that the right way to do it is to write it. Otherwise, you know, I, I don't understand why we bother giving people giving rabbi and broad educations. Right again, I understand why in the credit world you might choose that because you because you can just draw your boundaries absolutely and just say okay, you know, and every, I don't care what happens outside them. That's going to be harder and harder, but you can try that. But I think monorthodoxy, you know, we're, allegedly we're giving people broad educations. We have a highly educated community. We should be using it. We should be thinking um, in, in an integrated fashion. That's what I try and teach my students. Uh, right, that you know, that if you want to do certain halachas, then you have to bring in economists. But it doesn't mean you accept the right because your economist was, you know, I'd say, like, you know, as an example, I like giving, we should give this right. That, um, so everyone in NYU for years, right, came out believing that minimum wage, that the minimum wage was a bad idea because the only from economists they knew was, was Rabbi Arnold, Dr. Arnold Levine, was at Sadiq Gomor and a fine economist, but was a student of Milton Friedman. And, you know, so we have all these Rabbi who take these positions, and do any of them ever read the economic theory, the economic sheets, the economic position the other way? So I thought Rav Asher Weiss was raised, was trained by somebody else. So if you look at Rav Asher Weiss's Sakima Corporations, you'll see that he has a theory that um, comes from um, I forget Adolf Adolf Burl, is that right? Uh, right, you know, which is a which is a pre a pre Friedman school, so school that Friedman attacked that comes goes back that goes back to the Brandeis era, and it's really fascinating. So I, I think that you know that, and I think we understand that in Kashrus. Right, right. Kashrus, the people making decisions have to be right, really understand it. Nobody thinks to base Kashrus on, right, you know, they have to figure out how you deal with, right, when Chazal say Tom Busser is Pogim Tom Shemin, right? So we have to figure out well, what happens. Does it mean all Busser, all Shemin, uh, right? You know, right, all, right? What if we develop a, right, well, scientists develop a particular kind of Busser, right? So then we're going to say, is it a halacha or is it a, a claim about Messias, right? Um, I think that's what we need. Uh, I think that's what we need more and more is we need, um, we need Puskim. Um, it doesn't mean that all posts going to have to be that way, and there are always going to be, you know, people who are, you know, just great intuitionists about certain things. There are always going to be people who just rely on other people to tell them things, which no one, you know, nobody except for my wife, maybe, right, can really be can really be an expert in all these fields of first knowledge. But I think we need, um, I think we need a kind of sophistication for which um, I don't think Russia is is great to learn from. Not to learn that we should be. That we should be presented as just somebody who who conformed halacha to science. I think that's not what he was at all. The way in which he resisted conforming halacha to science may not be the right model for us. Okay. Uh, 
Well, I think you've stated, <laughs> I think I've got the position that will um, hope an indicator that Rav Usher Weiss and others um, do present at least uh, a, a model of, of how to go forward. And, and uh, Rav Usher is, is not shy about um, printing up his, his ideas and disseminating them. And I think that's one of the, we've talked about it in the past, the, the little, you know, very happy um, fusion of, you know, uh, you know, he's of, of, of a fellow who was a, a, a Talmud of the Koisenberger Rov and uh, clearly a Haredi Poisek, but still someone that can, who can, you know, garner appreciation within the modern Orthodox yeah. world. And I like think, yeah. Zalman, you know, not to compare, but, you know, there are Poskim who are that way. Russia Weiss is an excellent model, I think, of somebody who really tries to understand the field uh, on his own. Um, I think as a talk about Willig, you know, uh, does in a different, to some extent, I think in a different way. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think we're so lacking. No, anymore. right. So, so despite you know, it's not like you know what you, you know, you sort of set a tone before, as if almost like a hopelessness. I think that we, you know, and and I think COVID itself brought Rav Usher to the forefront even more than he had been. So, if Rav Usher is the white knight in some ways, or at least the model to follow. You know, COVID, despite its weaknesses in terms of its halachic, uh, you know, the, the the halachic muscle that wasn't flexed, but I think at least it did it did catapult to the to the forefront. Rav Usher, who we can now, you know, I think uh, doesn't have to worry about being scoffed at by a large percentage of the of, of of the Orthodox world, right? As you know, he doesn't have to explain his long frock or his you know or anything like that because he is. Who he is, and I think that's that's that that itself was a you know great kiddush Hashem. Yeah, David Bashevkin wrote something similar um, um, for you know that the Haredi world could now really love and appreciate uh, someone from YU in terms of Rav Shechter uh, issuing psukim. He felt that that was a uh, you know a, another positive that uh, you know we 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 we've softened our our positions about what a posik has to look like in order for us. Yeah. Okay, so Ravaya, thanks for the uh, for for the rejoinder and refashioning. And uh, I don't know if we're going to have to do this again next week with uh, 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 with our friend from Atlanta. But you know, if the if the conversation goes on, you know, it can only be I hope That's it, my friends. We'll be back soon. Take care. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.